0: Member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this special episode of En Route. Um, This is an episode I've been working on for a few weeks, um, doing a lot of kind of research on it. And it's really about the religious roots of the current um, Ukraine-Russian war. Um, We normally think that things like wars are things that happen because of political reasons or land or what have you. But there is actually a religious root to this, and it's important to bring it up. Um, It's important to bring up especially how the um, Russian Orthodox Church fits into all of this. Uh, Vladimir Putin's goal of, of invading Ukraine wasn't simply just to take the land for whatever reason. Um, he actually believes that it is part of Russia and has always been part of Russia. So I hope that you will enjoy this. Um, well, enjoy is probably not the right word, but I hope that it's informative, um, that it will help you to see, uh, another aspect of the war that we don't always think about much. And, um, also just, a. Uh, a note of thanks, um, thanks, um, to, uh, Brian Kaler, who I interviewed a few weeks ago about religious freedom in Russia. I think that that was, um, very helpful and also want to, to um, thank, um, Bryce Keat, Bryce Rich, sorry, um, who is an Orthodox scholar, um, who kind of helped this Protestant pastor uh, try to figure out um, orthodoxy. Uh, Thanks to you both. Um, If you look in the show notes, there will be um, a listing. Um, If you want to help uh, with relief efforts in Ukraine, uh, you can find them um, in the show notes. And there are links to various groups, Um, most, of course, because this is a religious broadcast, a podcast that they will um, be religious um, links. But I hope that you will take the time. And if you have not donated to anyone, please consider donating uh, to these uh, worthy charities. With that, let's hear about this um, from this special episode. That's called Vladimir Putin's Holy War. February 21st, 2022, nearly 200,000 Russian soldiers sit at three sides of Ukraine's border with Russia and Belarus. In three days, missiles will start hitting targets in major Ukrainian cities. The war between Ukraine and Russia will have begun. As the world waits, it's on this evening that Russian President Vladimir Putin gives a long and rambling address to the nation. The speech is hardcore Russian nationalism. One of the main thrusts of the speech, in fact, is that he believes that Ukraine is a fiction created by Vladimir Lenin. Somewhere in the address, he says the following, quote, since time immemorial, the people living in the southwest of what has historically been Russian land have called themselves Russian, Russians and Orthodox Christians. Unquote. What does this mean? Does Vladimir Putin really think that Ukraine is actually Russian? Well, in a word, yes. But what else stands out? Else, well, those last two words, Orthodox Christians. Why did the president of the Russian Federation talk about the faith of both Ukraine and Russia? Now, the Orthodox branch of Christianity is the major religion of both Russia and Ukraine. The president's inclusion of religion in this quote shows how faith is one of the underlying factors in this war. Vladimir Putin brings up Orthodox Christianity because religion is one of the ways that he can define Russian nationalism. It is faith that helps to define both nations, but it is in Russia that it's being used as a pretext for war. In this special broadcast, we'll take a look at the role religion plays in modern Russia and Ukraine, and how it fuels the largest land war in Europe since World War II. This war is a holy war. It is Vladimir Putin's holy war. Part One The Spiritual Renewal of Russia. When we think of Russia, we actually think of the Soviet Union. And of course, when we think of the Soviet Union, we think of what was the official belief. Atheism. Official communism did not believe in a god. And those who had a faith tradition usually had to go underground in order to express it. But then in 1991, something changed, and that was the collapse of the Soviet Union. Over the next few years... Many denominations and traditions within Christianity, as well as other faiths came to Russia and they flowered. And they also flowered in all in the other Soviet republics after decades of operating in the shadows. This was truly a time of spiritual experimentation for millions of Russians. But unfortunately, that time of religious experimentation didn't last. In 2000, Vladimir Putin becomes the second president of the Russian Federation, taking over from Boris Yeltsin. At that time, Vladimir Putin wasn't well known, but he was rising fast within post-Soviet Russia. Most of the people at the time were unaware of Putin's true intentions, but over time it became crystal clear. He wanted to restore the glory of a nation that had lost its luster at the end of the Cold War. But it's important to, to know, Putin didn't want to go back to the USSR. Instead, he wants to go back even farther, back to the days of the Russian Empire. Back to the time of the czars. And he's also looking to restore the guardians of Russian culture and morals, the Russian Orthodox Church. The church had been sidelined during the Soviet eras, but by the early 1990s, the church was back and ready to start where it had left off. Over the next two decades, Putin would work with the Russian Orthodox Church to enforce a Russian nationalism. The leadership within the church and President Putin will work together to reshape Russian society in their image and ultimately set the nation down the road towards war with Ukraine. To what end would Vladimir Putin create an alliance with the Russian Orthodox Church? To understand the alliance, you have to go all the way back to 1998. At that time, Boris Yeltsin appointed Vladimir Putin as the head of the FSB, the successor to the KGB, and that also placed him as head of the National Security Council. Now, this council produced a document called the National Security Concept in December of 1999. It would be one of the last documents signed into law by President Yeltsin. The document would in many ways set up how Russia would be ordered in the coming decades. The point of the document was to include spiritual issues as part of national security. For Putin, national security included the spiritual renewal of Russia. The document added that the state should encourage the spiritual and moral development of society. Why did Putin see the church as so central to something like national security? Well for that you have to understand the times. Putin came to power at a time when there was a void in Russian society. For seven decades the old Soviet values guided Russian society and after that collapse nothing came in to fill in the void. Putin was creating this new Russia that was nationalist in nature and the Russian Orthodox Church would have a central role in creating this new identity. There are several reasons why Putin decided to partner with the Russian Orthodox Church. For one, the church was viewed as a positive force in society. Also, it would restore the church to authority, the authority that it once had during the Czarist era, restoring a long-lost ideology. Also, The Russian Orthodox Church was seen as a champion of traditional values, which means it was against homosexuality. And the Kremlin could also enforce Russian nationalism because it was the Russian Orthodox Church. The church also supported Pan-Slavism, which meant that they believed that all Slavic speakers should live in one country. And that fit like a glove with the Kremlin's policies that didn't see, that saw Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia as one country. So, why does Putin think that the Russian Orthodox Church is so important to Russia? Well, because it's tied to the very beginnings of Russia. Part two, Vladimir and Vladimir. In 2009, Tikhon Shakunov, a Russian Orthodox monk, said the following, He who loves Russia and wishes it well can only pray for Vladimir, placed at the head of Russia by God's will. When he's talking about Vladimir, he's actually talking about two men with the same name, Vladimir Putin and Vladimir the Great. Vladimir the Great was the ruler of the Kievan Rus, which is a nation that encompassed parts of modern-day Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus, with its capital in Kiev. In 988, Vladimir, along with his family and fellow warriors, were baptized into the religion of the Byzantine Empire, Orthodox Christianity. The Prince's Baptism was an event that led to the birth of both the Russian and Ukrainian nations. And during the rule of Vladimir, Kiev grew prosperous. It was the heart of a Christian empire with schools and churches and monasteries. Kiev, or Kiev, became central to to Russian and Ukrainian orthodoxy. In some ways, it could be likened to Jerusalem. When Kiev was leveled by invading Mongols in the 1200s, the church moved from Kiev to a small village in the northeast called Moscow. For Russians, Moscow would now take up the religious and political legacy of the Kievan Rus'. But even though Moscow was now the center, the mythos of Kiev for Russians remained. Kyiv and Ukraine were part of the church, and that meant they were part of Russia. In 2019, Patriarch Kirill said the following, Ukraine is not on the periphery of our church. We call Kiev the, of all, the mother of all Russian cities. For us, Kiev is what Jerusalem is for many. Russian Orthodoxy began there, so under no circumstances can we abandon this historical and spiritual relationship. The whole unity of our local church is based on these spiritual ties. So to Kirill, Putin, and others, Ukraine and Kyiv aren't distant concepts. They're actually at the very heart of Russian identity and faith. Moscow is the center of the Russian Orthodox Church, but the Russian Orthodox see Kyiv as their birthplace. It's the center of their faith. Of course, it's also the center of Ukrainian identity and faith. But for Russian nationalists, that history is to be ignored. Shakunov is saying that Vladimir Putin is just like Prince Vladimir, and just like the prince, he is made the head of the nation by the will of God. Part three, God's Man in Moscow. Putin's nationalist goal wouldn't get very far if it wasn't for the Russian Orthodox Church. He's able to use the Church as a vehicle to carry his message of reviving the Russian Empire, and the Church has always been a willing participant, especially with the current Patriarch of Moscow, Patriarch Kirill. It's important to understand how the current Patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church works with Putin in making the Church the guardian of Russian culture. The year before he became Patriarch, in 2008, Kirill went was the head of the Department of External Church Relations. He traveled to the United Nations to address the Human Rights Council. While he was there, he spoke out against abortion, euthanasia, and extreme feministic views and homosexual attitudes. In that same speech, he called for an advisory council that would place human rights above, under, traditional values. The council was never implemented, but the speech itself did its job. It was part of the Kremlin's plan to subvert human rights. And the soon-to-be leader of the Russian Orthodox Church was a willing partner in this plan. As the conflict between Ukraine and Russia began, there were statements and actions by the patriarch that showed where his sympathies lie. Patriarch Kirill offered a misleading statement on the conflict that some took as being against the war. He said in a press release, The Russian and Ukrainian peoples have a common centuries-old history dating back to the baptism of Russia by the holy, equal to the apostles, Prince Vladimir. I believe that this God-given community will help overcome the divisions and contradictions that have arisen that have led to the current conflict. On the surface, that sounds like a call for peace, but some writers and theologians believe that it was actually a call to the nationalistic ideology of Vladimir Putin. A few days after the war start on February 27th, he gives a sermon at Cathedral of Christ the Savior in Moscow. He says the following, may the Lord preserve the Russian land, a land which now includes Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus and other tribes and peoples. Krill then then said that those fighting the historical unity of Ukraine and Russia were evil forces. And on March 6, Krill took an even blunter support for the war. This was taking place on Forgiveness Sunday, which happens before the week before Orthodox Lent. Instead of using this holy day to condemn what the president was doing, he uses it to talk about Ukraine, but only the Donbass region in, the, in eastern Ukraine, where the army has had to fight a Russian-backed separatist since 2014. He considers the people of Donbass, meaning the Russians who are there, as victims that are facing people who want to be Western, And what is the way to be Western? Well, by holding gay pride parades. He ignores what Russia is doing in other parts of the country. He sees the rejection of Ukrainian leadership as a rejection of Western values. He sees the rejection of Ukrainian leadership as a rejection of decadent Western values. Now, Forgiveness Sunday is supposed to be a prayer service where clergy and laity bow to one another and ask for forgiveness. It is, as one Orthodox scholar describes it, a highly kinetic service with a lot of bowing and a lot of prostrations and a lot of kissing. The whole point of the service is humility and solidarity. But Kirill's sermon shows none of this. It was a way of talking about what the war was all about and presenting the Russian Orthodox Church as the arbiter of morality. Here we see a vivid example of the church in service to the state. Kirill talks about Ukraine in light of the church upholding traditional values while the West supports decadent ideas like gay pride parades. Ukraine is then a country that is following decadent Western values and that offends and endangers Russians in the Donbass. This is not simply a war of armies, it's a war of values. So, when you have Putin's beliefs, combined with the beliefs of the leadership of the Russian Orthodox Church, together that creates an ideology that provides a context for the invasion, the Russian world. Five Ruski Mir The Ruski Mir or Russian word is a mixture of religious fundamentalism thrown in with a bit of totalitarianism. It's this ideology that allowed Russia to annex the Crimea in 2014. It's the same ideology that allowed them to start a proxy war in the Donbass. And it also led to the full invasion of Ukraine. What this ideology states is simply this. There's a transnational Russia, a Holy Russia, or Holy Rus, which includes Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine. And within the Holy Rus, there are many things that are held in common. There is a common capital in Moscow, a common spiritual center in Kiev, a common Russian language, a common church, and that means the Russian Orthodox Church, and a common patriarch, the patriarch of Moscow. The patriarch works in concert with the common national leader, that is, President Putin, to govern the Russian world, as well as upholding a common spirituality, a common morality, and a common culture. It should be obvious to see that the Ruski Mir is an ideology of us and them. Us, of course, are the true Russians and the them is the West, Western Europe, North America, and even the current government in Ukraine. The West has given itself up to liberalism, to globalization, to Christian Christianophobia and homosexual rights. And we should also include that this West also includes other Orthodox churches, because they are considered in error. It is only the Moscow Patriarch along with Putin that are the true defenders of Orthodox teachings. So you can see where all of this is heading, because if there is one common nation with a common capital, it means that a nation like Ukraine doesn't exist. If there's one common church, and that church is the Russian Orthodox Church, then that means all the other Orthodox churches in Ukraine, the Orthodox Church in Ukraine, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, are illegitimate. If there is only one leader, then all other leaders in lands claimed by the Russian world are pretenders to the throne. What all of this means is that when it comes to Ukraine, This isn't simply a war of conquest. Instead, it's a war of erasure. It's erasing a culture and its people. And without going into hyperbole, it seems to stop just short of outright genocide. conclusion A few years ago I visited the Canadian Museum of Human Rights which is in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Among the several exhibits at the museum, there was one about the Holodomor. Now, the Holodomor was a time of forced starvation of Ukrainians by Soviet leader Joseph Stalin. Ukrainians were forced to leave their own farms to join collectivized farms. Grain was grown for export, but... It was not for the local Ukrainian population. There were some cases where young communists would were brought in to Ukraine to root out hidden grain and even later, any and all food. The result was mass starvation. Between 1932 and 1933, around 4 million Ukrainians died of starvation. Starvation, which is an irony in Ukraine, a place that is considered the breadbasket of Europe. This ideology ended up killing nearly 28,000 people per day at the height of the famine. A century later, we are now seeing another ideology setting its sights on Ukraine, but this time it's mixed in with theology. And this time, it's not just the state committing a crime. The church is joining in as well. Speaking as a pastor, religion can do wonderful things, and it can lead to the betterment of humanity. But it can also be used for evil purposes, purposes that end up taking lives. The ideology of the Russian world is one where Ukrainians, a people that have lived as a nation for 30 years... Are told that their nation doesn't exist at all. All because another nation wants it for its glory and sees a Ukraine as a, its land that it can use to see as it seems fit. The thing about Vladimir Putin's holy war is that every weapon used by Russia in this war was blessed by the leadership of the Russian Orthodox Church. Every bullet fired, every missile launched is considered a tool of God. That's not how it's supposed to work, but it does in this land where Vladimir Putin and Patriarch Kirill rule. It works in a society where ch- the church works to support state and ask no questions when ideology and theology combine into this toxic brew it becomes that much harder to end because holy wars are for keeps and that's the game that Putin is playing right now in Ukraine this is Dennis Sanders thank you for listening to thank you for listening to this special episode of En Route uh, called Vladimir Putin's Holy War. Uh, just a quick reminder that there are uh, listed in the show notes uh, links to various organizations where you can donate to help with relief, uh, for ref- especially for refugees in Ukraine. I hope that you will consider giving uh, what you can. That is it for this very special episode of Enroute. My name is Dennis Sanders. Take care, Godspeed, and we'll see you soon. There's an uneasiness growing within today's parents. Questions arise around what our kids are being taught, exposed to, and influenced by. Thankfully, a fully engaged, well-informed parent is a powerful thing. And that's why I support Answers in Genesis, and I would recommend you do as well, because it's important to remember that the battle for our kids' minds isn't one in the courts or the classrooms. It's one from the safety and comfort of our own home. So be the difference our kids need and visit www.answers.gift today.